good day and welcome to the Cincy Slang and Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Coomer, it's it's hard to express sometimes when you are living in the city of Cincinnati and you are just constantly bombarded with big game letdowns, but no matter what happens, it is a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcats sports fan. Indeed it is. I'm glad you didn't go completely dark on me. I'm glad you didn't take a turn for the worst and start 2021 off with anything other than being a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcats sports fan. Look, Hummer, before we get into things here, there's a lot to talk about. We all know that the Bearcats lost in devastating fashion to Georgia, 24-21 in the Peach Bowl. But I'd be remiss if we didn't reflect upon the year we just had in 2020 and not start off this episode, the first one of 2021, by saying thank you to every single person who has decided to give our podcast a chance, listen to the episodes, write us on Twitter, send us emails with feedback, tell us how wrong we are. We appreciate every single person who has taken time out of their day uh, to, to listen to this, to click on it, to give it a shot. We really look forward to doing more of these in the coming year. Uh, we've got exciting news later this episode, but Hummer, I, I did want to start off by first thanking everybody who has decided to, to listen to this little Cincinnati Bearcat podcast. More importantly, we would really like to thank the people who email us and tell us that we're right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And honestly, I want more engagement. If we have a goal as a podcast going into 2021, I'd love to even get more feedback uh, going into this year. So if you can, Write us an email at slangin at gmail.com. You know, let us know what you want to hear about, questions you have, uh, comments you have. You know, we'll, we'll definitely start reading more emails on the podcast, sharing feedback and insight from other listeners. Um, also, find us on Twitter at slangin. As always, super helpful if you are listening to the podcast, leave a review. Five stars, send a quick note, tell people why you enjoy the podcast. We enjoy bringing it to you. We, can we will continue to do so in 2021. And without further ado, Hummer, before we get into the official uh, tribute to the team, debates about the final possession, let's actually pay homage. Uh, January, Cincy Slang and listeners, we're bringing you a special promotion. Hummer, take it away. Coomer, founded in 2007, Homage turns back the clock with shout-outs to eclectic moments and personalities in sports, music, and popular culture. From Billie Jean King to Larry Bird, Homage tells the story of triumph, individualism, and hustle, preserving the old school and creating new legacies. Pay homage at homage.com. Coomer, when I'm shopping on homage.com, the first collection I like to go to is the City Pride Collection. It includes classic Cincinnati throwback designs, the 93 Reds logo hoodie, the 97 Cincinnati Bengals starter jacket. Get yours today and then go check out the go-tos. Super soft, cozy essentials, perfectly understated and expertly crafted. They are shirts and hoodies made to fit you. I'm a big guy. These shirts are comfy. I love purchasing these. And if you have a baby, they have baby onesies. Make sure you pick up your baby onesies featuring your favorite Cincy sports team. To do that, 
Shop Homage online at www.homage.com and in six stores across Ohio, including their Over the Rhine, Vine Street location right here in Cincinnati. Homage has created an exclusive offer to kick off 2021 for Cincy Slang and listeners. Beginning January 4th, get 21% off the entire site when you enter code SLANGIN at checkout. Go to www.homage.com. That's H-O-M-A-G-E.com. And don't forget to enter the code SLANGIN, S-L-A-N-G-I-N at checkout for 21% off your entire order and pay homage. Let's talk about the Peach Bowl. Let's talk about the Bearcats 24-21 loss to Georgia. Much to be made of how that fourth quarter played out. Bearcats cruised along, I'd say, for three quarters, absolutely dominating the Bulldogs in every facet of the game. Play calling was on point. Uh, Defensively, that's probably where it stood out the most. We were just absolutely imposing our will on the Georgia Bulldogs offense. However, the, the, the flip, the script was flipped as they say in that fourth quarter. And I don't want to bury the lead here, buddy. Let's get into it. Let's talk about that final Bearcats possession, the third and two, the clock management. Let's just get into it. What did you think about that final drive for the Bearcats? It was probably one of the first times we've seen a game in the fickle era that was lost. And I, I, is, is it a coaching mistake? Is it is that a situation where there should have been something before the, before we're running out there on offense and we're telling Ritter, hey, make sure you drive the play clock down. Snap the ball with no more than, you know, no more than three seconds left. I know you got to keep them guessing, but, you know, snap it at three, snap it at one, snap it at two. Do not snap it if you have 10, 12 seconds left on the clock. Uh, you know, in, in – that that kind of blew my mind away when you're looking back. I had to rewatch it. Honestly, I was rewatching. I've watched. I've watched the end probably uh, four or five times. I've done the whole uh, Charlie from "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia." You know, drawing circles on the map and, and taking pins and sticking them across the wall of what ifs, and, and gone through all that. And it, it comes down to like, it's one of the first games. I actually think this might have been more of a coaching error than it was necessarily the the players on the field at the time. Because even that last play call, which I don't agree with, with, with throwing the pass there for, for the third and two, uh, the play itself, he was open for a split second. I got I to gotta throw that out there. He was open. But when I'm looking through it, that's another area where I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is, this, we want to win the game. We want to have the best odds of winning the game. Why are we not running the ball in that situation where we have just seen the, the play before Ritter, or was it two plays before, Des Ritter runs for a first down. You know, we haven't seen Ritter get his legs involved in this game at all. He had 15 runs. He 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 was minus 17 yards. You know, so he was not running the ball well. But we, my point is basically, if he runs the ball or we run the ball and we get stopped, we take 25 additional seconds off the clock. In addition to if we run the clock down properly, uh, almost another. Let's call it. 20 seconds because we're not probably snapping it at one you know we're snapping it at two or one seconds so let's call it pretty much we're we're taking an even 45 seconds off the clock from Georgia if we're doing that we're giving Georgia the ball with just over a minute 
22, or sorry, not even that, sorry, excuse me, 43 seconds instead of the minute 28 that they had. Yeah, I think that's the case, right? So everybody's up in arms over that final possession because of our inability to drain more time off the clock. Um, we all know what happened at the end of the game, right? So Georgia, Georgia gets the ball with a minute 25 seconds left on the clock. Is it a minute and 25 or a little bit more than that, actually? It was a minute and 28 seconds when they got the ball. Look, so minute, a minute, minute and 28 seconds, and the game ends on a 53-yard field goal uh, by Georgia's kicker, Jack Pudlensky, uh, Pudlesny. I forget how to say his name. Um, here's the thing. I look at it like this. Snapping the ball early on, on the previous plays, I think it was 16 seconds, 9 seconds, that's inexcusable. That's, that's peewee-level stuff. We have to run down the clock on those on those plays. Whether you're running, whether you're passing, we need to be milking the play clock, play clock for everything it's worth on the final drive. I, me, and you got into spirited conversations after this game about that third and two play call, and I think this is where I may deviate from the from the public uh, consensus on how we should have played that. That play call on third and two was exceptional. It worked. Michael Young was streaking down the field wide open. He was the primary read on that play. And all Des Ritter had to do was throw a good pass on time. We get the first down and it's curtains. The game is over. The Bearcats are Peach Bowl champions. We didn't complete the play. The execution was less than ideal. And so we had to punt the ball back with what? A minute and 28 seconds. A minute and 28 seconds. Like that's... That's the difference. And when I look at it, I'm extremely, I'm glad we don't have a coaching staff who's sitting back and thinking about the most conservative play they can run a handoff on third and two Georgia gets the stop. We're giving the ball back. Sure. With, with 20 less seconds than we would have otherwise. But the fact remains Georgia only needed a field goal to win. They could have still gone down the field, even with what you're saying, even if they have roughly 45 seconds left in the game, they didn't have to utilize spikes. They could have. They didn't have to utilize any sort of deep plays. They could have. Georgia still would have had time to move the ball downfield. It is not a certainty that we win the game if we just hand it off on third and two, and that's that. In the, the fact, I know, I know no Bearcats, at least online, were calling only for a handoff saying, look, this is it. We hand the ball off here, game over. Nobody felt that way in the moment. Come on. Nobody's thinking that way in the moment. The only, the only thing that's wrong with it is – in this moment, like you say, oh, it worked. It was executed. It was perfect. Well, the, the throw was there. The throw was in stride. Georgia, he was not open. You know, the way that was defended, he wasn't open. He clearly didn't no. catch the ball. Des the ball Ritter, was batted down by a defender. He threw it late and he underthrew it. That was not a good throw. He did not execute the play to perfection like that. He threw that. He got the ball out late and he underthrew it. Those, that's what happened. Well, if you're going with and, the run, and the Georgia and the Georgia defender, to be fair, made a great play, right? Like, he, I, yeah, he, I he made, it, he made a well. great play. Well, my 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 going back to that the other side of the the other side of the coin flip here, whether you throw the ball, run the ball, is when you give Georgia, they once again, you only need a field goal, so it's not a it's not a true two minute drill. Get down to the get down to the goal line and score the football. It's get to what was it? The I think it was the 41 yard line. Uh, was the it wasn't 40. Was it 41? I forget where they had the ball, the ball mark for the field goal line, but whatever, it doesn't matter. 
you're basically giving them they don't have to be perfect. You're saying they didn't have to utilize spikes. Well, give them 40 seconds. You have to now sacrifice a down. You now have to, they do have to rush more because let's just go through the plays that they ran to show you how much time they wasted and they were in a hurry up. Let's let's be clear here. They were in a hurry up. They were get the ball and and get the playoff. That's what that's what kind of game plan they were in. If we go minute 28 seconds, their first play was a pass, went out of bounds. It took up five seconds off the clock. So if we were going with the alternate universe here, and for some reason they were running the same damn plays, which we know they wouldn't have, but just for the sake of argument here, that takes them down from like 41 seconds. And my my estimate here is 36 seconds. Next play. They can't get it out of bounds. He gets tackled at the 40-yard line, and the clock drips off 20 seconds before they could get the next playoff, which then took him out to midfield at 50 seconds, which the clock was then drained down to nine seconds, which they would have had to then take a spike and have one more opportunity at nine seconds. They'd have to run a quick play, a quick slant, and have it be perfect to get in the field goal position to be, and then have have one second left. They'd have to go out of bounds. They could not catch the ball. You basically said they have to be perfect on those four plays with 40-something seconds left. They didn't have to be perfect. They got three shots at the end zone, in fact, having an extra 40 seconds on the clock. Well, to be fair, I mean, one thing we're not mentioning is that Jarrell White did appeared to drop an interception. Um, yeah, he did. Well, JT he Daniels did. floated a ball up to a receiver streaking down the sideline. White read it perfectly, made the play, um, and kind of alligator armed the potential interception. Look, I, I, all I'm saying is I'm not upset by the third and two play call. Am I upset by some of the clock management before that snapping the ball early? Yes. Is that more on Des or is that more on the coordinators? I'm always going to throw it back to the coaching staff. They need to make sure their players know and understand game situation when the ball needs to be snapped. I mean, that's, that's first and foremost. And that in itself would have shed another 20 seconds or so off the clock and we still could have run. And that could have been a difference. Call. And it could have been, right? Because they still might have to be in a situation where they have to spike the ball. They don't get the three the three throws down, you know, the free throws down the field. They just have to be a little more perfect. Sure. But I don't we should never we don't we can't talk about this with any level of certainty, right? Like third right. and two, they run the ball. We in my opinion, we, if you concede the run and allow the number one rush defense in the country to stuff you on third down. We say, hey, guys, we're, we're running another 25-plus seconds off the clock here. Like, that's a no-brainer. Well, Georgia's still going to very much have a chance to move down the field for a field goal. Their kicker blasted a 53-yard field goal. It's his career long. That is unfortunate, right? Like, that is the bad break of college sports and, and, and sports in general. It's, it's painful. It sucks. It's for 34 years of my <laughs> life. <laughs> If you haven't seen that Twitter video, the viral video of a, a Cincinnati fan losing it the way I'm sure 99% of us Cincinnati fans who have been uh, been alive on this planet for more than 18 years, uh, he, he encapsulated all the feelings that are going we're going through everybody. <laughs> yeah, he, he was awesome. And, and the funny thing is, I, I later realized and came to realize that is someone that was, I think, a year ahead of me at UC, and I do know him personally. Uh, quite the character. I am not going to put his name on blast here on the podcast, but I am, I am disappointed that he decided not to come on or did not reach out to us because it would have been fun to chat with him. Nonetheless, I mean, it was a painful ending, Hummer. Um, I'm actually all I'll say is my takeaway is this: I'm I'm happy overall that Denbrock and Fickle went after it on that third and two play. They they attacked 
with the intent to win the game with the ball in their possession to put the nail in the coffin of Georgia. We didn't execute, came up short. Georgia did everything basically right their next possession. Their kicker booted a hell of a kick there at the end of the game. They pull off the victory. It's another in a long line of insane, insanely disappointing Cincinnati sports big game moments, right? Just it's another one on our list. But if I, 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 it's impossible for me to be, to be overly critical about a coaching staff being aggressive. I am way too used to uh, having coaches and managers and, and teams that do the cowardly thing, tuck the tail, tuck their tails between their legs and run off from the moment. They don't want to try and win the game when the ball's in their hands. Fickle and Denbrock did the exact opposite. Des was extremely close to making a play that would have solidified him as probably one of the greatest Cincinnati Bearcats football players in history. And it just would have cemented it, right? He still is. He's still an all-time quarterback for this program. He's an absolute winner, uh, but it's unfortunate that he and the team did not have that picture perfect moment at the end of the game. I do want to get into this with you because I think we're, we're, we're lingering on the last possession of the game for the Bearcats. I would, it would be fun to hash out maybe the power ranking. Let's do a power ranking of the five reasons the Bearcats lost the Peach Bowl and we could rank them from five to one. You want to hash through that with me? Yeah, I think we can do that. So let's hear some of the candidates and you, and you share some with me. If you have others you want to add and throw into the fold. Number one, this is, this is in no particular order. We're going to put them in order after that, but some of the reasons I thought of in the first half, a play we haven't talked about yet. Hudson gets called for a personal foul that eventually becomes a targeting penalty and is ejected from the game. Starting left tackle he was the guy who slid into the starting offensive line this season after sitting out for a year because of transferring from Michigan. Incredible player. He's been an instant jolt to our offensive line. He got ejected, did not play in the second half, and I thought his presence was incredibly missed in that half. The third and two play call. Should we have run? Should we have passed? Clock management. I'm chalking that up to, the, to snapping the ball early. Did you have problems with Denbrock's second half play calling overall? Are there other, I mean, are there any other things we should be throwing in here for, you know, the, the root cause analysis for why the Bearcats lost the game? There's one and you're, you're not gonna, I don't think you're going to like me for necessarily saying it uh, because the Ritter did have for all intents and purposes, a great game. I did see a couple of, of balls that just, Frankly, like the little the little tight end type of or the little flats, we're we're, we're throwing the ball to a, t- a running back out of the flat, and he's just slightly overthrowing them. That are they're open. That's the way we can because our offense wasn't getting anywhere. Look at the fourth quarter, or the second half. We basically scored a touchdown. Then we went punt, 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 and you know turnovers. But we were missing a lot of these like running backs coming out of the flat. Just these plays that can give you a little boost of five, six yards. Maybe they break it loose for a first down here or there. But it's that's ticky tacky. So I, that's going to be the last on my on my of my power rankings. If I were to say the cause, I think the number one well, root cause is that we didn't get Ritter going on the ground at all. Yeah, that's so. Let's say let's say in in insufficient usage of the running game. That's another candidate here. Um, but let's also talk about this injuries and, and and guys who were sitting out of the game. We were missing. Uh, James Wiggins. We were missing Sauce Gardner. We were missing uh, Dokes. We had major key contributors. Uh, Renfro, our starting center, sitting out of this game. 
we had major key contributors missing from this game that you also have to chalk this up to. If I'm, let's start at number five. If you're going to put any of this on Des Ritter, I'm putting that at number five. Des Ritter, I said, I said that number five, I, I said right off the bat, I'm putting that number five. That is not something that we really need to go into to overanalyze is the play of Des Ritter. But those were, if I'm looking for one area of critique of what Ritter could do better, you got to put maybe a little more touch on that ball to complete those passes. That's that, okay. that those are plays that, that you need to complete because they're wide open throws that you don't need time. If there's players in your face to get those off. We saw what he looked like in the first half. He was exceptional. He was extending plays. Georgia's defensive line was awesome, right? Yep. Huge beasts beating our offensive line, chasing Ritter from the moment the ball was snapped. He finished 24, 37, 206 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. He did have a fumble in that second half critical fumble. I'd say, um, I, I would say number five, I would I wouldn't put Des Ritter's play on this put, list. I might, even, I might even put him number six. He's exactly. off the list. Des Ritter's off the list. I actually think that's a great point you just brought up, which is just it, we didn't use the running game enough. I know Georgia has an elite, best in the nation type run defense, but at the end of the day, we've talked about it earlier this season. One of the best recipes for success of the Bearcats was basically a 60-40 percentage breakdown of run versus pass. We're a run-based team. Des Ritter with his feet, running backs. I know Dokes was out, but but Ford only got eight carries. After that, Ritter Ritter had 15 carries, but a lot of those, again, like you said, are are, are running around with his head chopped off, trying to trying to run away from from a sack. Um, and then everybody after that, you know, Smith one carry on the fake punt, Montgomery one carry, seven yards, Tucker one carry, six yards. It's insufficient. It, it's been a strength all year. I have to say that's probably going back to their offensive line woes, though. So that's number five, insufficient, insufficient usage of the, of the running before, game. Before we move on to that too, you know, with, with the number four, cause I can, I can sense the transition in your voice there. Um, one thing, I, and this is where I just like, why I shake my head. Why in the world are we running a wildcat onto the field when you have Desmond Ritter as your quarterback? You have a guy who can do two things, throw the ball and run the ball. Like you're bringing in someone who can then only run the ball. Like why? And then on top of that, we fall start on it. Of course, it's like the, of, of all things that happen, it boggles my mind. They tried to do it. I think twice this year, both times had failed absolutely spectacularly. Um, please stop with the wild wildcat offense. Like, please let's, let's not do it. We don't need it. It's not necessary when you have Jasmine Ritter, the best running back on the team in your backfield. <laughs> here, here. No, uh, nothing to add to that. Cause that's clear as day. We don't, we don't need wildcat plays um, for number four. And that's my, that's my rant there. That's, that's my rant <laughs> for number four. I personally am going to throw um, the third and two play call is the fourth, fourth most responsible for our loss against the Georgia Bulldogs. I don't think the play call itself was what we need to be wringing our hands about. I think, sure, did you burn less clock than you could have if you would have conceded? We've already beat that horse with a drum. We, so number yeah. four. Number three, you know, at this point, we're down to clock management, meaning spiking the ball or snapping the ball too early. Uh, we are down to Hudson's targeting penalty, and we're down to missing guys with injuries. I'm going to put number three, we're going to be missing guys with injuries. I think missing Sauce, Wiggins, 
uh, Renfro, Dokes. I think that was a big deal. Was it the biggest deal? No, because we went into the final possession with a lead um, and being able to put the game away. So it definitely wasn't the biggest breaking point or, or biggest reason that we lost the game. At first, I was I'm surprised that you say that, but then you know we were talking. I've been talking about this actually with uh, coincidentally a lot of Ohio State fans that were watching the game and were were impressed by the depth that we showed, uh, knowing that we had essentially two All Americans out uh, in the in the uh, yeah in the secondary, and we still I would say held our own. It wasn't elite at times, but hell we, we 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 caused turnovers we we basically made them one they were one dimensional on offense i mean they had 404 yards through the air let's face it that's not the greatest stat you want to hear but it's college football almost every team at some point throws for you know for 400 yards um but they were just getting targeted all day they georgia threw the ball 39 times i mean yeah because our defensive line and, and linebackers held up and i think that was the biggest if you're a Cincinnati Bearcat fan, and, and honestly, we should let's finish up our rankings because I want to get into the good. Um, so number three, we had the the absentee players uh, to no fault of their own. Dokes, Wiggins, Gardner, Renfro, all struggling with either injury or illness. Number two, I'm going clock management. I think that snapping the ball early on, on a drive like that where you're just trying to run some clock and Georgia's out of timeouts, that was inexcusable. It was, it was, it was, it's just we've come to expect much more of Des Ritter, of Denbrock, of Fickle. Like we should be better than those types of mental mistakes on a final drive. And it's just like you said, they're mental mistakes. They're those are things that just they shouldn't happen. Like those are those are simple things to control. Um, that they they clearly you just let it get out of hand. And let's not even talk about clock management being like you said that third and two. That's why we'll we'll put that down the list. Just just simply not, you know, just making sure we're not snapping the ball on a rolling clock. Big, yeah, I, wa- but- I want you to be able to run passes and runs. I want you to keep the defense guessing. We did exactly that. But it doesn't mean you can't run the clock down at the same time. They could have done that. Which leaves us our number one reason that the Cincinnati Bearcats lost oh. the Peach Bowl. I hate to do this. I know, it's terrible. It feels harsh. It feels like we're singling someone out. He had a bad moment. But James Hudson, his... His personal foul penalty and his, you know, subsequent ejection from the game was the biggest play in the game for me. I think when you consider how important he was on the offensive line and what happened after that, the 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 way and the level to which that Mets struggled to even not commit penalties, multiple false starts, consistently getting beat on the edge, Hudson's ejection from that game and on a play that was just, frankly, it's completely in his control. He, he just lost control of his emotions. It was a tough mistake. It's certainly not the way you want to see him end his Bearcats career if he eventually declares for the NFL. But to me, that was the biggest play of the game. It, it left us inept offensively the rest of the game. I thought our offensive line just got absolutely pummeled in the second half and was largely the reason that we did not score more than 21 points in this game it's hard to disagree. And like you said, it is tough to say, Hey, this is, this is the one person who cost you the game. Cause you know, you know, you could see him on the sideline after it happened and, and the realization that that's setting in. Um, but like you said, Mets, it, it, he was, he, he was just getting pummeled on the past, the past protection. 
He was Georgia. He was go, more going forward, allowing allowing the Georgia defender to pull the swim move to get around him. Uh, they're slipping into the backfield. They're basically four yards in our backfield almost every play after that. The other thing, the 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 third and twos. Oh my God! I think he did it twice. Third and two, false start, Mets, and you're just like, oh no, again. Um, really ham hamstrung the offense and it, it did show it was the biggest loss and it was kind of one of those things when it happened you're sitting there thinking to yourself if this going to come back and kick us in the butt uh ultimately it did come back and kick us in the butt but hey i know we're talking about the negatives here but there's this is one of the first games i feel like at least bowl big bowl games or first loss i should say where i'm coming back actually I'm feeling positive about where the team is. I'm feeling positive about the direction. Uh, you know, I'm, I was sad in the moment, but then as you have time to reflect on it, you say, not only was this a, a great season, a lot was accomplished, you know, an undefeated regular season, you know, conference champions. Um, we're bringing back a lot of, a lot of the team. Unfortunately, we're not bringing back a lot of the defensive line. Um, but here's what the Georgia Bowl taught me. Cincinnati was competing with next man up mentality. Let that sink in. In prior years, would we have been able to do the same thing? Have you lost your starting center? Had you had your, your left tackle thrown out of the game? Had you had your two all American cornerbacks not playing? Is that something we were able to say, Hey, we're going to have to replace four major pieces of this team and still compete on the highest levels of college football. We did accomplish that. That is big news, especially when you hear about the recruits that are coming in behind us. We are building a powerhouse here. This isn't a one and done type team. This isn't a window of opportunity. This is the beginning of what could be a dynasty. And that's, that's what this game showed to me. Here, here. Um, the depth on the roster was evident, you know, teams in the past with the Bearcats, it's it's pretty thin you know it's it's you lose your starting running back and you're gonna you're gonna face some serious repercussions certainly like you mentioned two all-americans in the secondary you've got wiggins at safety gardner at cornerback i would say probably two two of the three most important guys in our on our defense and i throw elijah ponder as a third where when they're out of the game you're you start sweating bullets thinking how are we going to make up for these for these gaps and and brian cook in particular um, filling in for James Wiggins was all over the field. You know, was he up to Wiggins level? Not necessarily, but overall the defense held Georgia down. They were not the weakness. They were still able to, to scheme and play with a level of energy and, and intensity. That was, it was, they were deserving, right? The, the whole, the whole theme of this season is the Bearcats deserve to be considered for the college football playoff. They have earned that right. They play football to a level that is equivalent of those, you know, non Alabama category of teams, right? Like they have played their tails off and it was the same against Georgia. It was amazing at how well the front seven matched up against their offense. They, they bullied Georgia. They held Georgia to, to 45 yards on 24 carries stellar work. It's a, it's a, the ultimate tip of the cap to Freeman, to fickle, to the, to the depth of talent they've built. Like you mentioned, I just, you can't speak highly enough at how the pipeline is there. Like we have the pipeline of talent now to be a dominant team, especially the American athletic conference, but nationally year in year out. 
Yeah. And, and the last thing I kind of throw to this dynasty and the, the kind of the vibe that I'm starting to get from it too, is, you know, you have a departure of, of from Texas, their head coach, Auburn gone. You know, so you have some pretty major programs out there that typically we would all be shaking in our boots right now. When, when is Luke Fickle going to interview? And we're not, I don't think any, I've not heard one. This is weird guys. And I hope I'm not starting to trend here. I have not heard anybody on Twitter freaking out. <laughs> well, they're not freaking out because I don't think Fickle's really being considered for any of the current openings. In fact, Texas already filled their position. But that's my point, though. We're 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 not afraid. No, we're not sweating over a head coach. We've moved on to now sweating about our defensive coordinator and the fact that he's being rumored with LSU, he's being rumored with Notre Dame, he's being rumored with Texas in terms of taking a bigger, more prestigious defensive coordinator job. The great news is, though, it's not a sure thing that he leaves. Do you Could think he? he takes? Do you think he takes a de- defensive coordinator? That's a. I don't care if you're. If I get it, you're going to uh, Notre Dame, but you're still getting the same visibility from a defensive coordinator position as Cincinnati as you are Notre Dame. So Bingo. if your goal is to be a head coach, it, is it makes sense to move your family of what seven children, uh, four hundred miles north or whatever that drive is to South Bend, Indiana? Uh, I don't think it does. Uh, we've talked to some friends. You know, these guys who have six, seven kids not they're they're special breed they're great guys i'm not saying that but you know what i mean like (laughs) it's a that's a lot of work that's a lot of work to move your family for for what essentially would be a lateral move when you're now looking to become a head coach somewhere else and then move again within a year or two well freeman's ultimate goal is to be a head coach and he's returning a lot of talent on the defense as much talent as we're losing we have a good pipeline He's built something special here at Cincinnati. We're going to continue to be a dominant team where he's going to continue to get national recognition. I don't think just as we saw Sarkeesian, you know, take that prestigious offensive coordinator job with Alabama, where he really proved his worth by, by coaching up these five-star talent kids to, uh, to being, you know, the best offense in the country. Touche. You are now the next guy in line to fail at Texas. But I guess my point is. Did he already fail at USC too? Yeah, but that was more his own personal personal problems, drinking on the job, literally in the office. Um, he has apparently dealt with those issues. And I don't think anybody ever really questioned his football mind. I think he's a good football mind. He's a he's a talented guy, but he did have some some major issues that prevented him from succeeding at, at USC. Well, uh, I know we're gonna get off topic here because I was I was actually reading this and I thought it was a very excellent point. Texas laid off 300 individuals in their athletic department and furloughed many others and are spending close to 40 to $50 million with that, with that move. Talk about getting your priority straight, especially when Texas wasn't, wasn't exactly failing. You know, they, they weren't (laughs) like they were nationally ranked, you know, they're in the top 25, uh, interesting move i think it's just we talk about it all the time but i'm not we're not harping on that let's 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 keep focusing let's pay some more homage to the bearcats uh well i want to yeah don't jump the gun i want to i want to talk a couple more minutes here about the game and some of the performances we saw he didn't get enough carries in this game but jerome ford real deal the athleticism the speed the the running power oh you know, I know Dokes is exceptional in pass blocking. He's great out of the backfield and catching the ball. But in terms of pure running power and ability, you did we not see the did, did we not see the one like block that where Ford just leveled someone in this game? Right. Yeah, and he has it. The the potential's there. 
I got a text from a buddy who went to Georgia uh, who said that Ford was running away from four, four athletes in the, in the secondary. And that's exactly right. His talent level is off the charts. He's coming back for another season and giving him a full workload. I suspect we're going to see some pretty jarring numbers uh, coming from Cincinnati's running back next season. Yeah. I, I would have liked to see more carries from, we abandoned the run in the second half completely. I, I don't agree. I didn't agree with it, but then again, I'm not the coaches and you know what? I probably would be fired in my second season because you know, you give everybody two seasons, right? That's, that's the uh, rule of thumb. <laughs> <laughs> that's what our boy Lenny uh, said yeah you give everybody two seasons i'm not getting a third one as a head coach no way um <laughs> you have that you have you have john cunning or yeah john cunningham um this coming up and maybe saying something i don't know if he does or not um maybe he says something about my performance uh but then he just comes out in december's fires me uh they need he needs he's a guy clearly he's talented he needs to get the ball more you, you just said it perfectly. He's running away from four or five, four, four athletes in the secondary of Georgia. Guy was lightning fast. Um, Josh Wiley, the touchdown catch, diving, scoops. Oh, it my up. God. I, look, it's it's crazy, man. Like the It used to be that this was kind of a, uh, an island of misfits. We put together less talent, and Brian Kelly would somehow you know mix it around in a crock pot and, and create the best stew you've ever tasted. Um Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman, Denbrock, they've got legitimate talent to work with here. And that's why, you know, the, the corrupt football media and, and the establishment, they need to look at this team differently than they did the Boise States of yesteryear. than they even did Central Florida a few years back. Top to bottom, the talent on this roster is much more real. It's much more deep. And we can compete with the blue, blood, blue bloods of college football. But uh, do you think we're going to be adding Josh Wiley's name to the to the list of uh, three, you know, superstars who are going to be chugging out of an ice luge because he's just such a talented wide receiver or a, a tight end that he, he's going to be on a Super Bowl roster in the near future? Does he? I don't know. Does he have that that same party gene that the that Barwin and the Kelsey brothers have? Because I don't. If you, if you look at his photo on ESPN, he's rocking a, a mullet. Okay, he probably does. <laughs> <laughs> Very much in line. He has that, that moxie too, man. He he when he catches the ball, he he gives a little gronk spike. <laughs> That's true. He does. He's got some good dance moves also on the field. But yeah, I mean, just exciting guys to watch. Exciting team. I think you were alluding to it, Hummer. I think we should pay homage to to this season. It was a special season for the Cincinnati Bearcats. Uh, twenty twenty treated a lot of people poorly. It was a rough year for a lot of folks. Bearcat players sacrificed a lot, but I got to say it was for me, probably the most fun I've had during the Cincinnati Bearcats football season. College football loses a lot when you don't have fans in the stands, when you lose pregaming, but the, the way this team rallied, the way they competed, uh, the leadership we saw, the, the kind of the moxie they carried themselves with. I was extremely proud to be a Cincinnati Bearcat fan. It was an, an amazing season to watch. I'm, su I'm super thankful for Freeman, for Fickle, for, for even Denbrock, man. The guy stepped up and I thought called a pretty good game against Georgia. Hummer, before we move on from football, if we look at this from maybe like a season perspective, are there any moments that stood out to you that you'd like to reminisce about or think back to uh, given how, how, how memorable the season actually was? The game that kind of kicked off the Bearcats. I mean, we, we all knew they were contenders. I think we guaranteed an undefeated season way back in week two. You did. Um, you know, and, uh, that guarantee, I don't know if does it count where we 
Did it hit? I'm counting it. I don't care. Okay. <laughs> National champion still doesn't matter. Yeah, UGA cheated. Uh, fake alert. We should have, you know, stopped the count. But no, the <laughs> the real moment for me this season was when Desmond Ritter came alive. Desmond Ritter with his lengthy run to just the 91 yard touchdown run against SMU. That was pretty much his breakout game. He had three touchdowns, 179 yards, eight carries, just absolute monster of a game. And it really propelled him for the rest of this season. Uh, And that's what we expected then from that point on, that is the Desmond Ritter we got Uh, a Desmond Ritter who played essentially at a Heisman level contender for every game this season, except for three. Yeah. Incredible. I mean, I, I think that is the moment of the season for the team. Um, it was, it was at number at number 16 at the time, SMU 42, 13 win. And Des Ritter just, he had a bye week right? So Tulsa gets postponed. Bearcats had an extra week to prepare. If you remember the first three games, people were calling for his benching. I mean, it was getting wild out there. And he came out, absolutely showed out, proved to be, you know, a, a, an inarguable starter for the Bearcats and more than that, right? He's going to go down as one of the greatest Bearcat quarterbacks in history. And in terms of winning, there's, there's he's pretty much second to none at that point. Um, I loved it. I thought the three game stretch SMU is, def- is the first of those games. Then they beat Memphis 49, 10 followed that, that up beating Houston 38, 10. And then actually they went and beat ECU 55, 17. Honestly, just the, the, the hot streak, the Bearcats were on that time of year. Uh, was incredibly fun to watch. I think we commented, it, I was not used to how casual it felt to just beat teams down. There was no there was no uncertainty about what the outcome of these games would be. And I just got to, you got to kick back, relax, and just enjoy the game as a fan with no pressure. And, you know, given what we experienced in basketball and how football has been in the past, it's it's completely been a change in dynamic. And thank you, Lou Fickle, for the, the peace of mind I've had as a football fan uh, watching these Cincinnati Bearcats. Yeah. Um, the last, well, I don't want to say last one, there's many moments, you know, including just the, even the game against Georgia that we just talked about. Uh, but the last one I really want to pay homage to, look, it's devastating to get your heart broken on a last minute field goal, but we did have the pleasure of, of giving the exact same treatment to Tulsa to bring home the American athletic conference championship trophy to our house via a 34-year-old, 34-year-old, a 34-yard field goal as the time expired by Cole Smith in the rain to do so, to bring that that championship home. That is another moment that I thought was was just, just filled me with emotion. I was pumped. I was excited. You know, it, it just it kept me going. Um, that That's one. And I don't think, you know, kickers don't often get the – the recognition, you know, the, the, the weeks after, you know, they, they get it, the, maybe the, in the moment. Uh, but I do want to give some Cole Smith, some love there. Uh, Cause in that game too, I mean, Alec Pierce was, was, you know, that was the name we were, we were singing uh, 146 yards receiving. He was just absolutely on fire. The one handed grabs, you know, all over the field, unstoppable force. So, so many moments from this season that I'm going to take and I'm not going to forget um, I'm still planning on getting my, you know, athletic championship shirt. Um, 
but more importantly, I'm also looking forward to, to grabbing some gear from homage, um, especially that, that UC hoodie. Um, I'm pumped about that. <laughs> yep. Get that. Take advantage of that 21% off folks. Um, you know, I, I want to make mention of one more thing. And that is one of my favorite moments was when the Bearcats were moved down in the college football playoff rankings from, I think it was six to seven or seven to eight, um, passed up by the legs of the great Iowa state program and our athletic director, John Cunningham decided to respond by sending a gif of, uh, danger field saying I ain't getting no respect. And then he deleted it the next day. No, but you know what? He was a huge cheerleader for the Cincinnati Bearcats football team later went on national radio, really made kicked up a storm about how wrong it was that they were being treated so poorly by the playoff committee and that their accomplishments weren't being paid proper respect. Oh no, he didn't do that either. No, but at least, you know, before the peach bowl, he was sending out messages of encouragement and excitement showing that he was at the game and, ready to support the team. Nope. Didn't do that either, but he did respond with a tweet uh, 24 hours after the game to say that uh, he was, he was proud of fickle and the cats. So um, cool. Thanks John Cunningham for the memories. Burn. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I mean, it's super, no, you're, you're hundred percent aggressive. Right. The guys, I don't know what he's vacant. I, I can't fathom why an athletic director is so, He's just what, off the radar. He's doing, I don't understand what he's, what he's doing. What is his job? If not advocating publicly for the athletic department at, at the university of Cincinnati, one that needs more financial support and backing than ever bang the freaking drum, John do something that will generate more pressure on our, our own administration to support these programs or on conferences to bring us into the fold. You just expect more than what he's bringing to the table. I mean, let's be honest, Santa Ono, our ex-president, is more of a cheerleader for University of Cincinnati Athletics than our own athletic director. That is a disgrace. Is he out there, is he out there trumpeting other jobs? Like, I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't understand. Uh, you know, I think we, we kind of, we glanced over it a little bit when he was first hired, but we, I know we made mention of the fact that it is weird that we hired a guy who's never been an athletic director of a major program. Um, it, it is unexcusable. I don't know the name of uh, Georgia's athletic director, but I know that we saw tweets from coming from him of him taking pictures with the actual players, him taking pictures of their coaches, congratulate him for being in the game, congratulate him for winning the game, you know, being present all around in the program. That's one thing we don't seem to have. And it's unexcusable. It's not even, it's, it's not even like a shame. It's just unexcusable. That that's not what we need in this program. You know, we're going to come up again when we need a contract extension for Luke fickle. And what are we going to need donor dollars for it? And if you're not out there hitting the trail with the donors or making an impact, you know, that's, that's scary. That's a scary thought. Here's so I was joking. Cunningham did not send out any pregame tweets, did not do any sort of good luck tweets. No uh, good luck to the players, coach fickle Freeman, um, after the game, for about 24 hours, no word from him. No word online from John Cunningham about the team's performance in the Peach Bowl and everything they put on the table, especially all the sacrifices the team was making to actually make this happen. But he does send, 24 hours later, he says, thanks to our great Bearcats fans for their support during a special season. Excited to see what's next for Coach Fick and the Bearcats football team. The best response to this 
And shout out to whoever this guy is. Bearcat Mill at Mill 004 replies to John Cunningham with two tweets. I'm going to read them. Keep football moving forward. Fix basketball. Engage your alumni more. Do something about your media relations and marketing. When I say reach out to your alumni, some of us reached out and never received a response. Some wrote you out of their wills. Others quit donating. Relationship building needs to do a 180. Concise and on point. Do better, Cunningham. <laughs> I mean, I'm laughing because it's it's it is funny, and you know, it, it's I mean, it, it's funny in the sense that like this is this is not something a professional. I'm going to call him a professional, a professional college athletic director, should ever have someone saying like this should be athletic directing 101. Right. I'm not an athletic director, but I I think that you, we could probably do a a good job of it. Well, if you, if you just poke around and look at some other ADs across the country, you're going to see a much different timeline. Um, You know, Mike bone is not a saint, but the man um, is certainly online. He's got a presence. He's, he's pumping this program. He's advocating for his programs. Um, Several others are as well. I did check though. And I wanted to look and see the AD, at minnesota just to see like all right what's what's that guy doing cunningham learned from this guy what, what's he up to nothing i don't even think he's got a, a twitter handle but um i also don't want to be modeling ourselves off of uh the minnesota gophers i'm not sure that's the recipe for success that the bearcats are looking for nonetheless summer let's move on to the much maligned bearcats basketball team there's still a lot going on there uh things escalated quickly after a another loss, this time to Tulsa on our home court. Though, to be fair to the Bearcats, let's stop calling them home losses, all right? It's a neutral court. There are no fans in the stands. When there are, it's one of the toughest home courts to play at. But until fans are back in the stands at Fifth Third Arena, I'm sorry. These are not home losses. These are neutral court games. Please start calling them as such. That said, we lost 70-66 to 66 to Tulsa. And look, I actually thought Hummer that things that were terrible before, like turning the ball over and fouls and put sending another team to the line, those things actually did improve in that game. We didn't foul as much. Uh, we actually finished with under 20 fouls for a change. We shot more free throws than Tulsa. We turned the ball less, turned the ball over less than Tulsa. In fact, we were in single digit turnovers for the game with nine. However, the Bearcats shot incredibly poorly in this game. Just could not make a bucket. Um, I'm pulling up the, the shooting splits now, but the team, from my recollection, they shot 34.4% from the field, 31.6% from three, and 66.7% from the free throw line. And that, my friend, is how you lose a basketball game when you out-rebound turn the ball over less and shoot more free throws than your opponent. Uh, it, it's hard to describe. I mean, one, and I'm not going to lie. It's hard to describe. I was, I was, I had to listen to a, to it from the car, but I think I called you during halftime and asked you, does this game look as uninspired as it, as it does, as it, as it sounds? Um, one thing I'll actually, I will give us credit though. And this is where I think that it's starting to become evident. I think where some of these problems are originating from for all the things that we are doing bad, 
or poorly, playing poor defense, uh, not making shots, we're putting ourselves in a position through sheer will to win basketball games, to, to have a chance to win the basketball game. You know, we're, we're overcoming these 10, we're going down 12 points. We're, we're bringing the lead. We're, we're, we're coming back and tying a game or we're going down 11. We're coming back and, and taking a quick lead. And it's almost like we have the talent on this team to be good. And when they, when they play well, or they play for these spurts of time or the, these, these, you know, these out, out, outbursts of time that they're, they're able to put together some, something of a semblance of a basketball team. We know that lineup happens to be the small ball lineup where we've beaten that, that, you know, horse, horse dead already. Um, there's a lot of things that Terry Nelson on the broadcast, he kind of broke down in the middle of the broadcast and was talking about how he just wants to be, you know, he's never one to, to hide how he truly feels. He just says how it is. He even admitted I could be a Bearcat Homer or his exact words. See, I can be a Cincinnati Homer. He's like, but right now what I'm seeing is just too many boneheaded plays, too many shots to, you know, the shot selection being so far off. But he also talked about how on defense, we're basically just staring around, standing around watching the ball. You know, we're, we're standing around watching the guy drive the ball and we're not doing anything. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's no sense of urgency. There, there's, there's no inspired play. We're a selfish team is what, what he said. And he said that I'm like, actually, I can see that we're, we're only playing to make ourselves look good and not someone else. Like Chris vote. When we say he's bad at defense, Terry Nelson defended him in a way that I haven't heard before. He's like, basically when Chris vote has to go up and, and come off of his man to defend, no one is giving him backside help to stop his defender from being able to get the ball and, and, and get there to score easily. And now I'm not saying I'm not trying to defend Chris. Vogt. I'm just thinking like, OK, I'm seeing that. That makes sense. Or you're, you're seeing other things where where guys are you know, driving lane and they're, they're trying to be the, the one who wants to finish. They're the ones who want the glory and they're not dumping it off. You know, they're they're not. It's very eye opening when he made those comments, because I don't think we've actually heard someone in the, I would say the mainstream Bearcat media kind of go off the way he did during the middle of the broadcast. I, I, you were telling me what he was saying on the broadcast. And I actually saw a couple other folks tweeting about Terry's comments that he was being very direct. He's, he's pretty much on the money. I mean, what's happening with the Bearcats is we're breaking, we get broken down defensively very easily by an opponent. You know, I don't see, it takes one man to get beaten off the dribble for the other team to make one extra pass and they score. You don't see multiple rotations. You don't see us. There's just not a lot of fight defensively. Everything comes very easily to the opponent. You know, Tulsa shot 56.8% this game. And they, and that includes missing 13 of their 18 free throws. Sorry, not free throws, three pointers. So, they're just getting everything at the rim. They're getting easy shots. And I know we don't have rim protection down there with Chris vote, but where's the, they're just, it, we have to make it more difficult for opponents than this. You know, we try, I saw, we tried more zone in this game, but it didn't really seem, it just doesn't seem like a team that's connected. Defense is all about connectivity. Do you need the best defenders all over the court? Not necessarily. Does it compromise you pretty badly when your seven foot center can't defend the rim? Yes, it does, but it doesn't have to be like this. There could be better rotations. There can be um, 
better scheming. There can be more fight from the players and getting through screens and not giving up and dying on plays. All of it has to be better. All of it reeks of, of a culture issue, you know, and I think Gabe Madsen decided to opt out of the season. And that was, you know, in addition to Mamadou rejoining the team and Rapolis officially leaving the team, that was the other big announcement this week. And, and he actually fortunately released a statement about why. And a lot of it went back to the fact that they're playing basketball amid a pandemic. And because of that, you can't socialize. You can't really leave your room. It's basketball. It's classes. It's basketball. It's classes. There's nothing else for these guys at this point. So they're being asked to sacrifice a ton. And with our football team, we saw it. That sacrifice was worth it because of the culture that team has created. We're getting buy-in. You're going to sacrifice, but we're going to win. We're going to play hard and we're going to accomplish something greater than, than what we are as individuals. I don't get the sense that our basketball team is bought in that way. The culture of this team doesn't seem remotely as healthy as it does for football. Now Fickle's had four years to build that culture. It's been growing ever since he came to the program. The concerns I have is that it just, it hasn't been getting better and we haven't seen true growth from the players that are playing under John Brandon. I mentioned earlier that things are escalating after this loss to Tulsa. And that's because the star player of last year's team, Jaron Cumberland sent out an Instagram message yesterday that basically said, get Brandon out of here. You know, I I'm summarizing, I'm paraphrasing, but it was a picture of Brandon with the caption of get him up out of here, indicating that he would seem to think that Brandon's not fit for the university of Cincinnati. Now, Jaron is completely entitled to have his opinion there. I would say that that you're actually sub you're sub you're subverting the program when you send out a message like that because we're already we're already in a situation where we have no recruits for 2021. If we start making this top this culture even more toxic than it may or may not already be, we're we're in for it. Like you you are guaranteeing this fails. So I wish players like Jaron would would have a bit better of a filter, more of a filter in terms of airing those types of grievances in public. You know, um, I agree and I disagree. You know what, as a former player, you know, they, you know, they, they put their blood, sweat and tears in the locker room. I think their, their opinions are their own. Um, it's up to them to, to make that decision. What irritates the, the crap out of me is when you see fans attacking the players on Twitter. Uh, Mason Madsen, had a tweet where he was talking about basically like he kind of wants to just take the, you know, take the thumb gloves off and, and go to war with Twitter uh, on Twitter with some of these people, because he gets so much, I guess you could say hate mail, if you would about like, Oh, well this team's you, you try watching this team guys, he's playing on the team. That's losing five straight games. You know, I don't know, like, if anybody else out there enjoys losing, like, congratulations, you are one of the weirdest people in the world. Um, no one likes losing. And these players especially don't they, – they hate losing most of the time more than they actually enjoy winning, like, if, that, if that makes sense. Like, that's the type of competitive drive you get when you get to these higher levels of athletics. Um, these are, these, this is not fun for them. They're not having fun losing. You know, and it's, it takes time and it, it, I don't want to say the word patient because frankly, I'm running out of it too, um, you know, because I think I was alluding to it, but a lot of the issues seem to be coaching issues because we have players who are talented. Like, like I, I alluded to it before by saying 
we were in this game and we played horribly yet we were in the in a position where we could have potentially won the game late 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 here that that's just sheer will of athleticism on the team i think pulling that out yeah i think the team the team has shown that they're willing to compete and they're willing to fight at you know throughout the entire game we have fallen into big second half deficits uh, and we have come back and we've lost every game that we've we've been close right you know central florida we were close uh tulsa we were close south florida we were close georgia we got beat down now georgia was was a red flag game where there was just no fight and that came after a, a tough tough loss versus south florida so honestly you're right like the the fight the players are showing are good i think that there are some red flags in terms of what's happening on the court the the lack of connectivity the the turnover issues the foul issues the inability to really play a style that that accentuates the talent that's on the current roster um you know i guess we're at a point now where we are reevaluating whether the team actually has the talent or not i would say it's clear as day this team is better than two and six i don't think that that's an acceptable record when you consider who's on this team and, and what kind of talent we have i don't think that we are at this point um, maximizing everybody that's on this roster it's interesting that david DeJulius. Uh, his shooting has fallen off a cliff. You know, I'm joking that uh, that he's wearing a jersey that is 100% cursed and needs to be retired and buried under Fifth Third Arena because number zero has brought us no favors. Uh, done us no favors. Bury, bury it under Norwood. Bury it in Norwood. <laughs> <laughs> Send it off elsewhere. But after, after the shooting performance of Chris McNeil last season, where I think he finished around 15% in his one year with the Bearcats, David DeJulius, a 36% shooter at Michigan last year in 21 minutes a game, shooting close to three three pointers a game, is currently shooting 17%. It's pretty uh pretty brutal. <laughs> it's a pretty brutal percentage. And I just think that uh I don't I look at DeJulius, he's a talented guy. Since the Xavier game, he has not been getting in the lane with the same amount of um, consistency that he did in those first three games of the season. Keith Williams, clearly a talented guy. Is he the rah-rah leader that Trey Scott was? No. But is he someone who can get you 15 to 17 points a night? Yes. But why he can't stay on the court? The foul problems. Um, is he is creating for others as much as he could? No. And then you look at the shooting woes of the team and the fact that the, the quote-unquote system that John Brandon runs is just not getting the productivity that we were promised. So there's, there's concerns galore. Are we going to be firing a coach midseason in his second year? Absolutely not. Is that a healthy way to approach the second season? No. So as a fan, what I'm looking for, game in, game out, um, I want to see us – I want to actually see improvement the rest of the season. I want to see them figure this out. I want you to crack the codes of these players. Pull more out of Mike Saunders Jr. Get Tari Eason's finishing around the rim to improve. Uh, make David DeJulius. Get him some momentum heading into his senior season. You know, help Keith Williams finish his season scoring efficiently and creating for others. There are things John Brandon can do to make this team better heading into the conference tournament. We know the conference tournament is the great equalizer in college basketball. We will actually have a chance to play our way into the NCAA tournament at that time. The only way we can even remotely have that hope is if this team finds a way to start improving marginally for the rest of the season. You're 100% right. They're, they're going to have to figure out how to do it because, look, at the end of the day, we've been – or I've been, I don't know, maybe we have been. We've been harsh on, on Chris Vote as a whole. 
Um, but there's ways to utilize Chris Vote to have him be a successful part of the team. You know, whether that's making sure we're we're telling players how to get the ball into him or or working with Chris Vote to not turn into the defender, um, to help him get the, the easy buckets underneath. The other thing. Never guys, how about this though. Never we shouldn't run any plays for Chris Vote. Just stop. Just stop running plays for Chris Vote and tell him, look, dude, you want to eat? Go get some offensive rebounds. That's it. Get the offensive rebounds, get the get the simple like, if you have position, you already have position, great. Uh, because he, I've seen him get a lot of off the ball fouls of trying to fight for a position. Um, but there just needs to, there's a lot of, I think it's the fundamentals that it, it appears to be lacking with this team. And that's, what's kind of the, when you say red flags, that's what I'm seeing is that I see a lot of fundamentals that we're not doing well. Um, you know, Chris vote is at his best when he gets the ball up high and he takes it up strong up high. He is not his best when he needs to take two dribbles and do a fish hook. He is not Kyle Washington. <laughs> yeah, I just think we're, we've we've already we've already hit our allotment of time that we've talked about Chris Vote this season. I don't think we're allowed talking about him anymore. And I Fair think enough. that I, I get frustrated. Like they are running possessions throughout the game. His offensive rating stays high because they run possessions for him where they just can't get the ball into him. Whether that's Chris Vote's fault or the entry pass fault, I'm not sure. But I just think let's move on from it. Let him be a junkyard dog. Look, you're gonna get you're gonna get 15 minutes a night, 20 minutes a night. If you want to score points, get some offensive rebounds and putbacks. That's it. We're not running plays through you. It's not happening. Like the talent's not there. That's not the the way we're gonna best play basketball. Move on from that. Make this a guard oriented offense. Make us press 30 minutes a game. Try and force teams into a little more discomfort, and then figure out a way to get the offense clicking because the shooting is atrocious. Guys look shook out there. They look unsure of themselves. Nobody better personifies this than Mike, than Micah Adams would at the moment. I love Shuey's game. I thought he was awesome as a freshman. It hurts to watch him press out there. He is just so unsure of himself right now. Find a way to get these guys comfortable again. Use the players who, are, who have bring the most to the table. Give Zach Harvey a shot. Develop the young guys. And then look, it's not Brandon can't just wipe his hands of this and say can't, rebuilding can't here. Be, you can't be skipping over over the best player on the team right now. <sighs> Jeremiah Davenport. Jeremiah Davenport. Dav. Yeah, and Jer- and look, he's playing Jeremiah Davenport now, like 27, 28 minutes a game. That's right. Jeremiah Davenport has earned those minutes. I, I he needs to turn over the ball less, though. That's that's his that's his issue. Yeah. But it's one of those things where if he turns the ball over, it, it's uh Len- Lenny Stokes, he he alluded to this when, when I think it was one time when Steve Logan turned the ball over and Huggins pulled him out and sat him on the bench for three games. And you know, it was why, because he turned the ball over Jeremiah Davenport right now literally is walking offense for us. He comes on, he can make some three pointers. He's, he's shooting the ball. Well, he has the highest effective field goal percentage on the team, believe it or not, or sorry, second highest. Uh, technically Chris vote is still hanging a few percentage points above him, um, but he turns the ball over too much, but you know, I well, want to see more no, player. I want to see more players improve the way Jeremiah Davenport has. Right. Change your perspective for the rest of the season. We're two and six. This is not a team that's going to get an at-large bid in the tournament. Right now, it's all about turning the ship around. It's going in the wrong direction. It's sinking. We're on a five-game losing streak. What is John Brandon doing to make things better? Is John Brandon capable of winning us games when we don't clearly have the best talent on the floor? when we aren't going into a game with the conference player of the year in Jaron Cumberland and defensive player of the year in Trey Scott, 
when you don't have those guys on your roster, are you capable of manufacturing wins? That's the question for John Brandon, and it's on him to answer it the rest of the season. Let's leave it there, Hum. I think we've, we've talked enough about this team. I'm, I'm a little bit rattled. I'm trying not to get too emotional. I don't think it's helpful. Um, look, okay, they're they not firing. Going, if they keep going the way they're going, if they keep going the way we're going, we're going to actually have to start talking about the rest of the conference uh, because we're going to keep beating a, a dead horse. You know, uh, that's our favorite saying this year. Um, you know, we're going to have to find it. It's, it's, it's getting hard because it's the same thing every week that we're seeing. And like you said, it, it is about turning the ship around at this point. It's about getting to the conference, conference tournament, and being ready to play there because that is our only path into the NCAA tournament at this point in the year. That's it. That's that's laying it out on the table. That's it. That's all. It's all about the conference tournament at this point, and we can build to that. We'll see if John Brandon is capable. So far this season, the answer is a resounding no. Um, but he's got he's got the games available ahead of him to to turn it around. We'll see. I want to get back to something that we have done in previous episodes. We kind of forgot about it for a good probably year here. Or we just, or we just stopped doing it. Or we know. just stopped doing it. <laughs> um, I, I actually want to, I want to dedicate, I want to dedicate the podcast. Who are we dedicating it to? Um, who? That's, that's a good question. Who do we want to dedicate this particular podcast to? Um, you know, I want to they, I want to dedicate it to the desk that you decided to bang on throughout the entire episode today. Okay, well, um, you know, I, I've been sitting here thinking about this, uh, who we wanted to dedicate to, because are you a former Bearcat the minute that your season ends, or are you a former Bearcat like when you like are no longer attending classes, or you've graduated, or, or what? What's the official officialness here? Uh, I'd say when your career is over, athletically. You are a former Bearcat. All right. I mean, it only makes sense then that we're we're dedicating this podcast to every senior who is deciding not to return uh, to the Bearcats, whether it's for attaining glory in the NFL or they just decided that this is the, you know, this is the end of my college football career and they want to pursue other endeavors. Um, You know, so let's let's go ahead and throw you know a shout out, especially to. You know, Mr. Mr. Wiggins, I thought that was, um, you know, it had to be incredibly tough knowing that he couldn't be out there, um, you know, in a game that I'm sure he's sitting there thinking that he could have had a positive impact for. Um, Well, as of this podcast, that's a good idea to to throw a shout out to the guys who are departing Uh, so far. That includes James Smith, punter, Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. (laughs) Oi, oi, oi. (laughs) James Wiggins, safety. Derek Forrest, safety, another stud uh, in that secondary. Elijah Ponder, Ethan Tucky, and Jared Dokes. So shout out to those guys. I know there'll probably be more added to the list in the coming days, but uh, super grateful, super fortunate to be able to watch them have this incredible season for the Bearcats. And there's no doubt that we will be remembering this one for quite some time. Well said. Cheers. <laughs>